0: You're visiting with us today. Um, we're taking the summer and a little bit into the fall um, to to go through the book of Acts and to uh, to try to take a fresh look. That's why it's called refresh a fresh look at the book of Acts. Sometimes we can look at things in the Bible and they kind of get stale to us. You know, you've read them so many times, and we're trying to take a fresh look at the book of Acts because the book of Acts, as we re- reminding you regularly is the history book of the early church. It started, the Lord launched the church at the day of Pentecost, that's where Acts begins, and um, the early church, the first Christian church is recorded about in the book of Acts, and then the expansion of Christianity from just being a a Jewish result of Judaism to going across to people who are non-Jews and scattering across the then known world. So the book of Acts is that history book, and what we're looking at in the book of Acts is we're trying to look at those topics or those themes that are kind of woven in the material of the, of the early church. What things was God saying was important? What thing was the early church doing? And what like, attitudes and values were being developed in the early church, in early Christians? Because we want to say they were so close to the source, so close, they, they saw Jesus die and resurrected and ascended. They saw this. And so we want to learn from them what what does Christianity to them look like. And so we're looking at that. We know it's 2,000 plus years or just about 2,000 years later. Um, And so we know there's going to be differences because the world is different. But a lot of the the things that make up the fiber of Christianity are woven into the book of Acts. And so we're taking these couple of months to, to look at that with fresh eyes. I also hope as we're doing this that you've... That you're taking the challenge that I gave you. Anybody remember the challenge that I've given you? And I hope has been probably been repeated. All right, to read at least one chapter of the book of Acts every day. Um, got about generally around 30 days in a month. You know, we know February, and here's so no short ones. And um, there's there's uh, 28 chapters in Acts. And so if we read a chapter every day, we're going to take about three months through Acts. You'll have read through the book of Acts three times during this series, with the hope that this that that with the Spirit of God, because remember, everything that's in the Scripture are inspired by the Holy Spirit on purpose. There's nothing wasted in this book. God, by the Spirit, inspired the authors to write this, so it's eternally important what's in the, in the Scriptures. And so what we're hoping is, as we spend time in the book of Acts, what the Spirit of the Lord was wanting to communicate to the church by preserving it and inspiring it will really get down into our souls so, that we will, we will adopt some of the thinking and the views and the actions of what was really important to the early church. So, for today, I want to start by reading four short sections from Acts. Um, and I'm going to see if you can figure out the general theme that we're going to be talking about. So, grab your Bibles or power up your, your iPad. You don't have iPads anymore, right? Does anybody other than me use an iPad? All right. The oldest ones in the crowd, we use the iPad still. You know, so we, well, I like my iPad, right? We still like, did I just offend people probably saying that, right? Unintentionally, but, but uh, um, fire up your phone, your iPad, and also the verses will be up on the screen. And I want to just really quickly, we're going to go through four little sections through the book of Acts. So I want to show you that what we're talking about today is literally woven through the whole book, okay? So chapter two, first of all, go look at chapter two, look at verses 43 to 45 with me. We'll start right there. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now, this is the description of what was going on in the early church, um, the brand new church at that time. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. Now, let's flip over just another page to chapter 4. Look at maybe two pages, chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. It says this, And the congregation of those who believed believed in Jesus were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them, and and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as they had a need. Now flip a little further back to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 18 and 20. Acts 19. 18 and 20. Many also of those who had believed, again, come to Jesus, kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and we're going to explain this in a while, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And one more section, Acts chapter 20, So another couple of pages over, 33 to 35 says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking about himself. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We'll stop right there. So what might we be talking about today? What theme is woven through the book of Acts? What's the main topic we're looking at here, maybe? I'm hearing murmuring. Giving, your money, time, um, possessions, all right, exactly right. Um, We're looking at this. This is what we want to look at today. How? Remember, we're looking at lives of transformation in Christ-likeness, how we become more like Jesus. So they walked with Jesus, they were firsthand with Jesus, and their lives are being transformed to reflect what it looks like a Christ follower looks like. And so we look at this thing that's woven through the book. We look at this theme here. We find this, that how coming to Jesus and experiencing the transformation of salvation and then the maturing that comes with walking with Jesus, that we see here that something very real has happened to these people, that the grip of materialism has been broken in their lives. At least that's the goal. We see this that the grip of materialism was broken in the lives of the people of the early church. That as they and we grow and mature as Christians, we begin to think and act differently than the world around us. And that one of the areas that we begin to think and act differently in is our view towards stuff, our view towards finances, our view towards possessions. And as we talked about a few weeks ago... We are to, as we walk with Jesus, this transformation happens. We experience transformation in our thinking. That's what we're hoping for today. More transformation in our thinking. And then what happens is that the outcome of that is we have transformation in our living, in our actions. Right? And so remember we talked about the triangle of transformation a few weeks ago? If you weren't here, look on the website for that. It's a just foundational and how we grow and change. So we're seeing here in the book of Acts is they, as they interacted with Jesus, some changing took place in how they viewed a lot of stuff, but in particular here, how they viewed finances, how they viewed stuff, and then how they acted with the stuff that they have. Now, in the area of this idea of stuff or materialism, which would say that wanting the desire for more stuff, the area of materialism naturally as people without Jesus i think if we'd be honest with ourselves and how we have been taught how we see society around us that the general rule would be this the general thinking would be that that more is better that stuff is great and more is better that having more gives us a lot of stuff i think society would say this that having more stuff gives a sense of security Right? So stock markets go up and stock markets go down. If you've got a big pile, you're like, okay, I don't like that, but I'm okay. So it gives a sense of security. Um, having stuff, it, it makes people feel, I think this, superior to people who have less stuff. And just think of our society. We, we look at people with a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, the, book of, the Bible really talks about this in the book of James. If you value somebody with more stuff higher in the church than somebody with less stuff, the Bible says you're sinning. Because why? The natural human tendency is we value people with more stuff, more money as more powerful and we give them more credibility. So that's just normal thinking. And also having stuff, it enables people, we know this, to do the things that, that we want to do and they want to do with the belief that if I do all the things that I want to do, I'll find happiness in this life. So the thinking of the world without Jesus is we want more stuff. We think more stuff makes us happy. But when we come to Jesus and he begins to help us think and live differently, we think differently so then we act differently, he shows us some of these, he unravels some of these lies we believe from the culture around us. He shows us that security, it doesn't come through stuff and money, that security is really only found in him. Because when we're secure in Jesus, economies can go up, economies can go bad, down, and we can go, okay, but my God is the king of the kingdom, and I'm all right. He'll take care of me. So security is not found in stuff. Security is found in a relationship with Jesus. Um, we find in Christ that, that nothing should ever make us feel superior to other people. Why? Because we recognize in Christ that all people are made in the image of God, and that all people are have equal value in the world. Not somebody with more is more valuable. And in Jesus, we find that happiness, or maybe a better Christian word would be joy, because joy is not tied to just events. Joy is an internal um, uh, sense of peace and security in Christ, that joy and happiness um, cannot be rooted in stuff. But are rooted in living with Jesus in the kingdom of God and participating in his activity, that that brings joy into our lives. And if we don't have that understanding, what happens is people spend their whole lives chasing after stuff. If I just do that, if I just go there, if I just go by like that, if I have the house finally here, I have that, this car, that, whatever, that somehow I'll be happy. But it's a never ending process, an unattainable chasing after joy and happiness that doesn't come. So through these situations in the book of Acts, we see that this early church, because of Jesus in their lives, that their view on stuff was different. Those old ideas we had, they began to line up with Jesus' thinking, and because of that, the grip of materialism, of wanting more, that more is better, the grip of materialism was broken. And friends, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but in my opinion, I think this is one of the most telling signs that there is a reality and a maturity in one's Christian experience. That we go from the world's belief that more is always better, and my greatest desire is just to accomplish and get more, to understanding that all things I have are a gift from God, and my greatest joy comes from using the resources that God has entrusted me with, to be a blessing to others, and to be an extension of his love into the world. And I'd say, you want to understand transformation? When that thinking changes and the, the, the actions then change, that is an incredible evidence of transformation in likeness. So let's look at how these four little excerpts that we read from Acts, how they revealed how the early Christians had been going through this transformation and how their view on on uh, stuff change, and their grip of materialism was broken. So think back, and we'll only look at some of them because we just read them, but think back first of all to Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 45, the first text we read. In that early community, church community, it shows the grip of materialism was broken. See, obviously we can conclude from this story that those who had responded to the gospel message in their lives before Christ like everybody else, had accumulated stuff. And they'd accumulated, according to the story, more stuff than they needed. So when Jesus came into their life and other people came into the family of God and people had needs and they had excess, when they saw that others had needs, they automatically decided to sell their property and their possessions in order to help meet the needs of other people within their church community. And we can really look at this and say, obviously, the grip of materialism of saying, I have to hoard for myself, was broken in their lives. Then just after that, we look at Acts 4, 32 to 35, and we see it's similar to what we read in Acts. Before these people met Jesus, they had accumulated more than they needed. But when Jesus entered their lives, they got rid of their excess to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. And one phrase that I think is amazing um, to reveal their level of transformation was in verse 32. It says this, Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. They clearly had a transformation in their thinking they came to understand that ultimately the possessions that they had ultimately belonged to God, that it might have their name you know, on the deed or the title. This car says owned by Mark Larson. This house says owned by Mark Larson. But they understood that even though their name was in the title, it was ultimately God's and that their desire was to follow the leading of God. So if they believed that God was asking them to sell something and give away the proceeds, They did it, and that's what we see. The Spirit felt it was so important to get that across that he inspired that exact same message two times in the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And what the Spirit's trying to say is the grip of materialism was broken. Now let's take a little rabbit trail here for a minute, because if we stopped right here, as many people have in the church world, we we could conclude that based on the Bible that... We, as Christians, shouldn't own anything, that you shouldn't have any property, that everything we have, we should all come together as a church, and we should all sell everything, put it in a big pot, and all live off it. And some, we actually have people in our church who, back in the 70s, tried that, communal living, and they found out it didn't work. And one of the reasons it didn't work is that's not what the scriptures are communicating. So if we keep reading, so in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we see they sold with their excess because they were led by the Spirit to do it. But let's look at chapter 5 for a minute and find that there's more to the teaching. So let's look at Acts chapter 5 with me, just the first couple of verses. Acts chapter 5, we find the story of a husband and a wife named Ananias and Sapphira. And just let's look at the first beginning of this story. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, but it meant, now let me explain this. This is following up on a story in Acts 4 where a guy named Barnabas and a bunch of other people saw the needs in the church and sold their property so that they could give to the needs of the people in the church. So people were doing this, and they're taking the proceeds. They'd sell it. They'd get some money for it. They'd come up to, the, to Apostle Suzanne, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet, it said, and the apostles would use the money then to give to the poor. So Ananias and Sapphira have been watching this go on in the church world. So verse 1 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira um, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the piece for price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard. And the story goes on to say then that the same thing happened to his wife, Sapphira. So Ananias and Sapphira saw what people were doing, selling their property, giving it to things. Maybe people were patting them on the back for it. Oh, my goodness, John, I can't believe you just sold that great piece of land on the lake shore and gave it to the church. You're awesome, John. I don't know if that was going on, but somehow something was going on so that the people, saw, Ananias and Sapphira saw what people were doing and they wanted to receive the same accolades as other people. And so they did it. And, and when they did it, they make up this lie. And they say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to sell it for $50,000, but we're going to say we got 30000 for it. We're going to hide $20,000 you know, under the, the camel blanket. And then we're going to go um, and we're going to spend the rest. And we're going to give the rest to the church. We're going to keep this for ourselves. Well, when they did that, um, it says the Holy Spirit said they're lying and they fell over dead. But notice something when it says what they did here. Look at verse 4 again. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? What's Peter saying here? He's saying, hey, that land was yours and you were free to use it however you want. He's saying there was no compulsion to have to sell everything you have. He said the issue here that, that he's dealing with, Peter is dealing with, um, was lying. They were lying. The issue was not that they did not sell their property and give it to the pot that made up the communal church. No, the issue was that they lied about it. They were lying, and somehow the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm not going to tolerate that in the establishment of my young church. And so they fell over dead. Um, it does not ever say in the text that they were expected to sell their possessions. That was their choice as their value system was changing or not changing. So here's the point. Those that did sell their stuff were revealing something. They were revealing that the grip of materialism had been broken in their lives, and they saw people as more important than possessions, they understood that everything they had was from God, and so what they had, as the Spirit led them, they chose to sell it and give it for the needs of the ministry of the church. And they did it willingly. So that's very important to understand here. Because as we're looking at the grip of materialism be broken, if I don't, if I didn't make that point, you could walk out of here and walk heads down, husband and wife going, you know, I hate that church. They told us we've got to sell our house. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to live in our car? That's not what it says. But that's what some people have concluded over the years. The church doesn't, the Christianity doesn't say that. What it says is that the hold that monetary things have in our lives need to come in a right focus, and we understand, unlike the world, that the most important thing is not stuff. That the most important thing is people and the ministry of the Lord. And if we have stuff, and the Spirit of the Lord says, get rid of some of that stuff, whether it's a bank account or it's a piece of property, it says get rid of it if you can use it now to advance God's work and to help people today. And so it's about the work of the Spirit leading us to do what we want, what God wants done through us. It's about understanding that everything is his, even if the title deed says my name on it. Does that make sense? You ready to move on? Let's move on and see what Acts 19 says. In Acts 19, here Paul is preaching in Ephesus, a city known for its idol worship, in particular the worship of the idol Artemis. Matter of fact, they had a temple to the god Artemis there, um, there's a point where, where Paul's almost killed because they start chanting, chanting, great is Artemis, the god of, Ar- of, of, of Ephesus, and they want to kill him because he's challenging the worship of that god. And Paul had gone there uh, to this, and this is a great, you want to have a great example how you can go to the hardest places and God still does the work? You say, it's too hard in Port Washington. We live in Laodicea. People have all the gods of wealth and all the gods of everything else and, and distractions. Paul went to the hardest place They were were known for worshiping idols. That's what they were known for. And Paul went there, and it says, many people who had been worshiping false gods, false idols, had met Jesus, and their lives were being transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. Their thinking was changing, so their actions were changing. And one of the things they did, because of the change within them, is they began to burn their magic books and get rid of their idols. And it says in the text that the value was of about 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's dollars, that's about 6 or $8 million, something like that. So a lot of money. So this not only shows that the grip of materialism was broken in their lives. They're like, this is very valuable. I'm going to throw it in the fire and burn it. But it shows us something else, too. They didn't, because if you just look at things economically, you could say they didn't make any sense. Because they didn't sell the magic books and idols. They could have done that, right? They could, have, they, they could have just sold them. They're worth six or eight million bucks. They could have sold them and used them for the church ministry. They didn't do that. Instead, they burned them. They knew that they were evil, and they knew that they would be harmful in the hands of someone else, so they destroyed them. And someone could legitimately argue. Matter of fact, um, uh, Judas tried to argue this when, when, some, when people put perfume on Jesus' feet. Couldn't it be sold to the, for the poor? Um, They could have argued that, but why not sell them to the poor and use the money for helping the the rest of the world? No, they didn't do that because they knew that destroying such evil was more valuable, more important than any money could ever be used to do something even good for other people. Now, since we probably don't have magic books and silver idols, right, probably not, I don't think many of you have magic books you're consulting and silver idols that you're bowing down to and worshiping. Maybe the best application here is that we should look into our lives and we should get rid of anything in our lives that is spiritually or physically or emotionally harmful in our lives or could be harmful in the lives of other people, no matter what it costs. Remember, this, is about, this is the whole idea is it's about what does it cost? about the grip, breaking the grip of materialism, getting rid of something no matter what it costs you. For them, it cost burning books and idols that were very valuable. We might not have idols and magic books, but what do we have in our lives going on that to us hold value? And the idea of getting rid of them is so hard because of the value they are in our lives, whether it's numerical value or emotional value, is so much. And just maybe right now, and I'm hoping it's true, The Holy Spirit is putting his finger on our lives and maybe a practice or a secret pleasure or some kind of involvement or some type of an attitude is being pointed out by the Holy Spirit right now. Because it's something that you and I know, you know, no one else maybe knows, you know it's harmful to you. You know it could be harmful to other people. Maybe even your participation in it, you know, is harmful to your family and or friends. And you know what that is. And I'd say based on this, with, when, that, when, the, when the Christianity comes in and it breaks the grip of those things, I would say this, follow their example, burn it. Get rid of it, whatever that looks like. How do you get rid of it, whatever it is? How do you burn it? How do you throw it in the fire? No matter what the cost, because it's all about how valuable it is, no matter what the cost, no matter how much you want to hold on to it, invite God by his spirit to break the grip of whatever it is in your life and let Jesus give you a better life, a life of transformation. That's what God offers for us. That's what we're seeing woven through the book of Acts here, that these people's lives were dramatically changed. They lived different than the world and it was the best possible life. And so whatever it is, we're going to circle back to this in a second, in a few minutes. We're going to circle back to this right here about what is it that God might be wanting to break you, set you free from in your life. But let's first of all look back at that last text. The last section that was in Acts 20 verses 33 to 35. Let's look at that. Acts 20 again. I have the Apostle Paul, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my, my own needs and to the men who are with me. In other words, he took care of other people around him financially. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the, of the Lord Jesus. That Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul here is talking about how he conducted his everyday, ordinary, workaday day life. It says he worked hard, he provided for himself, and he used what resources he had accumulated, to, it says here, to help the weak, to help anybody in need. And he ends his teaching here, with quoted, by quoting the words of Jesus. Now, nowhere else do we see that Jesus said this, but the Apostle Paul had a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, and somewhere in that Jesus literally said this to him, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So as we're thinking of all this today, let's remember that in the book of Acts, we're dealing with the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus himself says to all of us, as we view our, the view of stuff, It is more blessed to give stuff away than it is to receive stuff. Paul learned that from Jesus, and it changed the way that he lived. And as an apostle, as a leader in the church, he could have demanded that he lived off the labors of other people. He could have lived a life of privilege. He had that right. But Jesus had changed his heart. By changing his heart and his thinking, it changed his actions. And he learned that the best life was a life of blessing other people just like Jesus had modeled. That Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal member of the Trinity, had came to us on earth as God himself to help us get to know God better and to give his life on our place on the cross to die for our sin problem. That the, that's the ultimate example of using what you have for the good of other people, of putting other people's needs ahead of our own. And Paul witnessed that, and he, intim- and he, and he, and he, and he imitated Jesus. And he quotes here this, cult- this counter cultural teaching from Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Churches is something we come to experience. As we allow the Spirit of the Lord to bring transformation into our thinking, that did bring transformation into our acting. And in one of the results is the grip of materialism begins to loosen and break in our lives because we understand it's all God's, anyways. And the best life is when we just give it away. We still got to have a place to live, we still got to have a car to drive. Remember, they said they still had their homes, they didn't give away everything. They still had to have a place to stay, but they used whatever extra they had to be a blessing to other people. Isn't this what we've been experiencing from the Ukraine project? This idea that it's more blessed to give than to receive? As we have been giving, and as a church, you have been giving. Giving extraordinarily of resources, of finances, of time, and of your energy to help people that you have never met Our shipping container is just about ready to be shipped worth, I think we said, total 50,000, right-ish, of value of stuff in that container, plus all we're paying for to get it over there, to help people who are in the middle of a war that other than a couple people in this room, no one else would even know existed, other than the news clips. And what have we said? When our, when, when our hearts are walking with Jesus, he gets a hold of us and we recognize, yes, I could have bought another this or that, but do I need the this or that? But I could actually use my resources to be a blessing. And as we've been doing that, what happens? We are blessed. Our hearts are filled with joy and happiness as we know that we're helping other people. You see, friends, understand this. And people misunderstand this. Jesus wants you to, be, to live the best life ever. Not in the way the world thinks the best life is. There's a misunderstanding about that. Best life other just living like the world, the top level of the world. No, he wants us to live the best life ever in the kingdom of God. And part of that is the gift that he gives us, us helping us see that the world looks different, looks wrongly at things. And he comes into our lives and he breaks the grip of the lie of the world that says that stuff will make you happy and more stuff will make you happier. Because if we believe that lie, we will be miserable till the day we die. But if we allow the Spirit of the Lord to set us free today, we will live with joy now and greater joy then when we walk into eternity. Because it's a lie that says I'll be happy because guess what? You can keep on chasing stuff. It will never make you happy. Chasing Jesus makes us happy. Jesus taught that blessings come through giving it away. And from start to finish in the book of Acts, we see that this reality was part of the fiber of the early church. And so we have to ask ourselves today, how about us? Can we say the same thing about ourselves? Um, And that's not for me to say about you. This is about for you to say about you. Can I say that the grip of materialism is losing, its, is losing its, its grip in my life, that materialism is losing its grip in my life as I'm walking with Jesus. I know this. I surely can see the evidence of it from what we've done in the Ukraine project and everything else we do. That's just one project. We do stuff all the time in just that one project. This is what I know. It is better. It is richer. It is more blessed life when we are generous. Generous people are the most happy people in the room. And greedy people are the least happy people in the room. When we live counter-cultural lives and we see possessions and money as opportunities for good and blessing, we receive the reward from that Jesus' own words. And who's going to argue with Jesus? (laughs) Right? Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So this, the idea of resources, materialism. This is another way, I hope, that we continue to learn from the early church, the church of the book of Acts. We begin to say, God, help us to, to help us to think like they thought. Help us to think like the Spirit thinks and to act like we see lived out in the pages of the book of Acts. So now, as we close, I want to circle back to something I said a few minutes ago as a closing. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger on something in your life. It, doesn't, it could have to do with materialism. It might not have anything to do with materialism, but something in your life, a practice, a secret sin that you think is secret. Well, it's not secret. God knows. Maybe it is a topic here. May be, maybe greed has consumed you, and your, your, your view of money is still like it was before Jesus. There's something that you know in your life that is harmful to you that you, would, you don't want to admit out loud to anybody else. It's harmful to you, and it's maybe harmful to those around you. And as I said, what we would learned from the church when they had all those idols and the, the magic books, they just burned them to the ground. They threw them in the fire, and they said, I will, no cost is too great. $8 million worth of stuff, burn it. No cost is too great to get rid of it, no matter the cost. So what is it in our lives? I want us to give us an opportunity to, to offer any of the things that the Spirit may be pointing out in our souls, any of the things to God, and to place them under the blood of Jesus and say, Jesus, break the grip of these. And I want to do it today as we, as we take communion together so that the worship team would come. I waited till the end to do communion today. Because I just want to take, I can't think of a more powerful way because it's physical. A more powerful way to honestly say, I give it all to you. Whatever that is. Now maybe you say the Spirit's not pointed His finger on, your, on anything. Praise the Lord. And if your Spirit has placed His finger on something, praise the Lord. But here's what as as I know, every one of us, starting with me, we need to continually be transformed into the thinking and the living of what, Christian, what Christianity looks like. And we have the, the, the disadvantage of swimming in a cesspool. That's what we do. We swim in a cesspool. A culture, not America, I'm saying the world that's been broken by sin. And so that affects how we think about everything. It affects how we see everything. It affects how we process everything. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes in and begins to help us, to, to help us see things rightly, feel things rightly. And so sometimes in that process, there's an obstacle. We want to keep moving forward. We know the Spirit's calling us to, but we can't get past there. Well, today we're going to ask the Spirit of the Lord to come in and just, you're going to, you're going to by an act of your faith, you're going to say, Lord, I'm, I'm burning it today. I'm putting it under the blood of Jesus I'm asking you Jesus to do what I can't do for you to set me free from this Lord you to, to give me give me the power I need to, to walk the way you're asking me to walk and, and we're going to do, do it through communion because we can actually tangibly experience it in the moment so let's take the, the communion elements this morning and, and take the plastic off the top and take out that wafer Jesus said, when we get together, we should do communion. And he gave the example. The Apostle Paul repeated it. He said, this is what the Lord showed him. Then on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it. They had one common loaf. There was just a couple of them around the table, a little more than 12. And they, they broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So hold that wafer. I know I say this probably almost every time we do communion. Hold that wafer. Look at it in your hand. It's real. It's real in this moment. And Jesus said, this is my body. He was saying, uh, do this in remembrance of me, that Jesus is the ultimate example of who we aspire to be. The life that Jesus lived recorded in the pages of Scripture shows us the perfect human existence. Jesus is the ultimate example. And we're holding a piece of bread that that represents his broken body. And it does more than represent, though, because by his spirit, God is literally in this moment. Because this is an ordinance that that the Lord himself established. He is literally in this moment right now. He says, this is my body. I want you to think about whatever thing the Spirit of the Lord has been putting on your heart lately. He's been calling you forward in your walk with Him. Maybe you just feel tired and complacent. He's calling you back to vibrancy. Maybe the last couple of years, navigating COVID and you're running your business, managing your family, has just been tough, and you're just wore out. And you've been settling for just doing it on your own, and, and you, you, you're, you're just tired. Jesus is saying, "Give that up." Give that up. Come to me. Rest in me. Maybe there's something in your life that the Spirit's pointing out that really is it's, it's an idol. It's an idol. There's something way too important in your life. And your thought of giving it up, you don't want to give it up. You say you want to, but you really don't want to because it's just too valuable. There's a practice, there's an involvement. It's a way of living. But the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you so much, I have something better for you. I want to set you free from that. And he's saying today, be bold enough to trust him because as you're holding that, piece, that, that, that bread in your hand, he's saying, I am right here with you right now. You're not alone. He's not asking you to, to, to blindly jump off a cliff. He's asking you to, by faith, trust in him. So hold that bread. Think about that thing, that way of living, that God's calling you to give it it up to something better. And right now, offer it up to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I I want to be all in with you. I don't want anything holding me back. Nothing at all and I need all your presence and all your power in my life. I want to live in the the power of your spirit, the fullness of your presence. And so right now, I hold this bread in my hand. This is your body, the reality of your presence. And right now, I invite you to come into my life and do what only you can do. Let's partake of the bread together. same way after supper Jesus took the cup he blessed it and he gave thanks he said this is my blood the blood of a new covenant a new deal poured out for us a new covenant a new way of living no more do we do these things live this life they they thought before Jesus that it was all about self effort keeping a bunch of rules and regulations and Jesus said no it's not He said, I'm going to go and die, and that's why it looks like blood. It's it's grape juice in these cups. It's supposed to remind us of his shed blood on the cross. And he said, I am the perfect. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's given his life for us. And he wants all of his goodness, all of his strength, and his presence to abide with us in our everyday lives. And like the bread, it's real, it's tangible. We can see it, we can taste it, we can feel it. Jesus is reminding us that He's in this moment with us, and so we've given things up to Jesus. But now we say, "Jesus, that's that's under the blood." Now I want to, I want to go forward with you. I want to advance with you. I want to become everything you want me to become. I want to grow and be filled with love and compassion. I want my life to reflect your goodness and your glory. I'm inviting you to take me forward in my Christian life. Let's do that as we partake of the cup together. Jesus, we want it all. We want to walk with you in fullness. So lead us and guide us and fill us with your presence. Let's partake together. Lord, we thank you that you never intended for us to live the Christian life by human effort. But we see in the pages of Acts in particular right now just this way of life that's so much higher than the world around us. Expressed in this one way today of, of just kind of mind-boggling ways where people would give up all their stuff for other people because of you. And God, we invite you to, to do your amazing transforming work so that we continue to become formed in your likeness so the world around us looks at us and says, they're different, good different, surprisingly different different and we can say it's all because of Jesus.